My path to becoming a plastic surgeon was littered with heartache, with failure, some successes. There's a lot of that in my book, Playing God, and I'm happy to share some of these stories with you today. But in the end, what it comes down to is, is doing whatever is right for our patient. Unfortunately, in my, the field of plastic surgery, we glorify surgery itself. And it's this idea that as surgeons, we think we're playing God, when in reality, that's not the case. And we need God to help us because we're just regular people. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Would you agree that how you feel on the inside represents how you look on the outside? Dr. Tony Ewan and I both share this sentiment, and I am so excited to finally have Dr. Ewan on the show because we have co-hosted many podcast episodes on his show, The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. Now today, Dr. Tony is going to be breaking down how to reverse the signs of aging and looking 10 years younger without resorting to surgery and other invasive procedures. Now I just turned 40 years old and let me tell you, I am all ears when Dr. Tony Ewan speaks because he has really nailed it when it comes to beautiful looking skin nourished from within. So listen and learn about which skincare products really work, plus how to build a simple and affordable skincare regimen that delivers dramatic results. I don't know about you, but I am full in. We will also be taking a deep dive into Tony's journey as a practitioner and why God has always shown him the way to take care of his patients and be the best doctor he can be. But before I bring Dr. Tony Ewan on, I want to take a moment and celebrate you. One particular healing rock star shared her win on iTunes. Now, she didn't actually share her name, but I'm excited to shout her out none the same that she shared just a couple weeks ago. Here is what she had to say. This podcast has opened my eyes to so much. I found great products to use, great brands, and everyday rituals to contribute to my life. Thank you, Dr. Marisa, for sharing your knowledge and wisdom. As a 27-year-old with PCOS and normal hormonal imbalance, I started to feel more like myself. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing, girl, and thank you for sharing your big win about your healing journey with PCOS. I can completely relate to hormonal imbalance and how to get your body back on track, and I so often appreciate and trust a lot of the experts that come onto the show and share brands that they know are working because they've got that high integrity. Now, I'm going to be sharing more episodes on PCOS specifically going live this September and October, mainly because September is PCOS Awareness Month. And with millions upon millions of women struggling with PCOS without true diagnosis or even answers, I can't wait to shed light on this really important issue. I'm also holding space for your continued healing miracles. If you're listening today, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution. As you know, part three and part two were big, big wins for me and my own hormone journey, along with thousands of other women, and I hope it is for you too. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa. Now, if you are listening today, number one, welcome to the show. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is all about one thing, and that is empowerment. And if, it is, if it's helped you in any way at all, 
I would love to shout you out as well. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or by simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes, which by the way, we are so close to 300 reviews. I think we're like at 296 as of today. So go on in. It only takes a couple of minutes. Review it on iTunes. Let's bump, bump, bump it up because when we do that, we are sharing the love. We are getting the information out there and we're helping women step into their power and to become the CEO of their health. And I love, love collaborating with you as we help to serve women around the world. Now let's dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Tony Ewan, one of my besties. But before we do, I wanna sing his praises. Known as America's holistic plastic surgeon, Dr. Tuan Yuan is a nationally recognized board certified plastic surgeon who is considered one of the country's best known in looking younger with or without surgery. He is the author of the best-selling books, The Age Fix and In Stitches, a memoir. His public television special, The Age Fix with Dr. Anthony Yuan has been viewed by millions. He also hosts the popular podcast, The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. His book, new book, Playing God, The Evolution of a Modern Surgeon, is a journey through the world of surgery, hospitals, and practice medicine that will open your eyes to just what it takes to become a doctor in today's society. Let's bring on Dr. Tony Ewan. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Tony Ewan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm with you, so I can't be better. I am so excited to have you here. This is the first time you've come on, and I'm so excited that we're having this conversation. You are my go-to anti-aging, holistic plastic surgeon. I mean, all the things I ever want to know about skincare, taking care of my body. You are the man for the job. And today, I'm so excited to not only dive into that, but talk about your new book, Playing God, and your journey into specifically becoming a natural holistic plastic surgeon. So I want to hear a little bit about your story because it's a very different take than other plastic surgeons out in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm a board certified plastic surgeon, as you know, and I practiced plastic surgery, traditional plastic surgery for quite a long time. I've been in private practice for 15 years. And um, really for the first 10 years or so, I pretty much did what everybody else did. I did a lot of surgery. I followed really what I was taught in residency and what we saw in meetings. And then I had a kind of a come to God moment where I had a patient who, you know, I was kind of at the top of my career. You know, I had a year waiting list. I was operating every couple of days, was super busy. And I had this patient who came to see me for a facelift. And it looked very routine. You know, it was a woman who was uh, in her early 60s. She had some jowling, some loose skin. And and she said, hey, I, I'm thinking uh, I'd like to look younger like my friends. I said, hey, that looks great. You know, let's, let's book you for a facelift. So I do the surgery. It's a three and a half hour surgery. Everything goes great. And I start driving back to my office from the hospital. And as I'm about 10 to 15 minutes out, I get a page from the nurse. 911, your patient is bleeding. Come back now. And now is in like fall by exclamation points. And so all of a sudden, I flip my car, I do a, a U-turn, and I floor the gas pedal and zip back to the hospital as fast as I can. And of course, I'm hitting a ton of traffic. So I'm weaving through the traffic. I'm actually hoping at this time that a cop is going to pull me or try to pull me over because then hopefully they're going to open up the lanes and get me to the hospital even faster. Well, if you've ever done a facelift, which I'm sure, Marisa, you haven't done one, but... I've done a lot. And when you get bleeding with a facelift, it bleeds very, very quickly. And the fear that we have is that if you fill up your neck with blood, 
you can literally suffocate and die from that complication. So once again, 911 page, I'm, I'm you know, rushing back to the hospital. I stop the car right in front of the hospital. I run inside. I'm taking each step like three at a time. And I get to her room and I look inside and she looks like Jabba the Hutt. Her neck is so filled up with blood that you can hardly recognize her anymore. So I throw some gloves on my hands, not even sterile. I take a pair of scissors and I cut all of her sutures and literally, literally grab handfuls of blood out of her neck, basically saving her life. I mean, it was so scary. Her husband was standing there watching me do this because we had no time to ask him to step out or anything like that. So I brought her to surgery, and the great thing about it is that she ended up doing just fine. I mean, she still comes to my office every few months. You know, she gets her non-invasive treatments, and she looks incredible. But this incident and a couple others really taught me that I've got to really reassess, like, am I doing the right things for my patients? Taking them to the operating room so quickly, saying, hey, look, yeah, let's do the surgery. That's the right thing to do. Is that really the right thing to do? And and from there, I started on this path to holistic plastic surgery and looking at the body as more of a whole and looking at what foods a person eats, looking at clean skin care and and the plethora of non-invasive options that we have and doing all of that first before we even consider surgery. Because if somebody asks me, Dr. Yoon, what's the worst thing that can happen if I have surgery? I have to start with death. And we go from there. So that's what really got me started on it. Hmm. And this has been in the last five years, a big part of, I wouldn't know necessarily if it's your practice, but it's definitely a big part of what you're educating everywhere, whether you're on Rachel Ray or whether you're on Dr. Oz or local news stations, you're giving people just tips and tricks on how to consider kind of the newest non-invasive options for their skincare. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, and that's really the key. I mean, my path to becoming a plastic surgeon was littered with heartache, with failure, some successes. There's a lot of that in my book, Playing God, and I'm happy to share some of these stories with you today. But in the end, what it comes down to is is doing whatever is right for our patient. You know that. You're a doctor, and that's really what it comes down to. And, and unfortunately, in my, the field of plastic surgery, we glorify surgery itself. And it's this idea that as surgeons we think we're playing God, when in reality, that's not the case. And we need God to help us because we're just regular people and we can fail. There's complications that can happen. And so we really have to take surgery so seriously and only use it when it's absolutely needed as, a, as an absolute last resort. I wanted to ask you, before we get into some of the newest kind of options that we have, I know so many of my, you know, all the ladies listening right now are wondering, you know, what do you recommend? What are the things that we should consider first before we consider plastic surgery? I know that there are some instances where plastic surgery is kind of the only option, but, you know, with with the advent of all the different things that are going on and all the different technologies that are being created, I know we have other options. But before we get into that, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the book and what was the impetus? tips for creating it? Was it just to give people kind of like a view into the world of, you know, a doctor's journey? Or was it to really show us that there's a lot more things that we should be considering when we consider a doctor? What was the big goal for you? The idea is, is that there are a lot of shows and there are a lot of books written about what it's like to be a doctor, but there aren't a whole lot of them that show the journey from going from this kind of clueless new doctor where you just graduate med school and you know jack, you don't know anything about treating patients, 
to literally five to seven years later becoming a competent surgeon where people come to you in dire straits and you're there to help them and, and even save their life. And, and it seems like the, the books that have been written about that either put doctors in one of two very extreme categories. They're either this holier than thou, you know, greater than everybody saint, or they're the opposite. And quite often in the case of surgery, they're this arrogant jerk that basically thinks that they're playing God, that they're above everybody else. In reality, it's somewhere in between. You know, I was trained by doctors who were on both extremes, you know, either acting as if they thought that they you know, we're saving everybody's life and it's all about the patient. And we know that that's not necessarily always the case. Or the opposite, these doctors that basically walk around with their nose up in the air who think that they are God's gift to humanity. And so what I want to do is shine a light on the true journey and kind of lift the veil on what it's really like to become a surgeon in today's world of modern medicine, which is quite a bit of the Wild West, I must tell you. Absolutely. Well, I have, my mom is in the, the medical industry and she works with a lot of orthopedic and neurosurgeons. And I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of orthopedic and neurosurgeons over the years. And it's really fascinating to me, the different personalities that exist out there and how mean some of them can be and, and really kind of that righteousness. Others having a reputation that the public never really knows about. It is really interesting. So when I, I started reading the book and I'm a good portion of the way through, I really appreciated your vulnerability. What it, what it felt like to kind of walk into that residency the first day and absolutely have no idea what to do or what it felt like when you first did that first surgery and you completely froze and kind of what that felt like and, and really giving that humanizing that experience for so many of us. People don't realize that when you start and you're an intern and you're a resident, that you make mistakes. And uh, you remember there's a story, it was my first day that I'm an actual resident in the hospital. It was a second year resident, so I, I did my medical school, I had one year of internship, and here I am, it's my first night. And as a resident, basically you're in charge at night of making sure nobody dies. You know, it's kind of like when you're spinning plates, you have people that, that do this plate spinning. That's what, you're, well, that's what you are as a resident. And the idea is to keep those plates spinning until the next morning when the new team can come in and uh, take over for you. So this night that I'm in the hospital, I've got an intern with me who's brand new. He's from a different country. He hardly speaks English. And I literally had started, it was like 6 p.m. And this nurse grabs me into a room and says, call a code, my patient stopped breathing. And I look down and there's a 60-ish year old woman lying in bed and she has no pulse and she's not breathing. And I have absolutely no idea what to do because I was a new resident and I forgot to review my life saving, which, duh, come on. So here we are standing, this woman is about to die and I look at the intern who literally had just moved uh, there from a different country he has a blank stare on his face. I can't even think about what to do. And all of a sudden I say, get the crash cart. And the nurses come in, they get everything all hooked up. And we hook this patient up to the monitor and we see that she's in ventricular fibrillation, which is the heart rhythm that basically precedes death. Okay, if, if you're in ventricular fibrillation, you are about to die. So the nurses, I, I, I figure out, okay, I've got to give her the, you know, I've got to defibrillate her, which basically means give her the electric shock to start the heart back over again so that once you start it up, hopefully it gets back into a normal rhythm. And I literally grab the paddles and like I'm Dr. McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy, I put them on her chest and I yell, clear. 
And the nurse yells, stop. She grabs my hands, moves the paddle into the right position, steps aside and says, go ahead. And then I go, clear. We shock the patient and luckily she survived. But if it was up to me, I literally would have shocked her liver. So oh. you literally go from being a resident like that who knows absolutely nothing about how to save a life to six years later, five years later, being that person that the patients come to and say, thank God you're here. It just really gives us a sense of how many failures or how many things have to go down in order to become that, that doctor that you've become right over the years. And then what's been really interesting is you start off the first story is really just kind of not necessarily second guessing, but just also reevaluating what patients need. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. In, in the last five years, where you after you had that one scenario and you began to think that maybe rushing my patients off into surgery and, and giving them that facelift or whatever they're looking for, the mommy makeover, that maybe we should look into how they're taking care of their bodies first. So what are some of the things that you look at or that you want your patients to do or adhere to before they actually get ready for surgery so that they get the best results possible? Because I'm assuming that if they quit smoking for several months, or they eat really great foods, and they stop eating a bunch of sugar, or they reduce their toxic load, that the results are going to be better. And that's completely true. You know, in my training, basically, they taught us that you need to get the patient to stop smoking. And ideally, you want them to get to lose weight if they're overweight. And that's pretty much it. You look at their medications. But at no time was I trained that I should ask them about what they eat, or their daily activity, or even skincare. I mean, I actually learned about skincare on my own. This wasn't something that as a plastic surgeon I was taught. So now in my practice, I do definitely take the time to try to encourage patients to do just those things that you did. You know, if there's one thing that you can do that can help you along the path long-term to slow down your aging, is to eat less sugar. Because sugar is the key to premature aging, and it does it by inflammation. If you eat a lot of sugar and you get chronic insulin spikes, that can cause chronic inflammation. The glycation, it will bond to the collagen molecules to cause this process called glycation, where the collagen of your skin can actually get deformed. So the first thing I do is we start say, look, we, we got to get you down on sugar, eating fresh fruits and vegetables to try to get good antioxidants in your system. Ideally, going off gluten. A lot of people don't realize just how inflammatory gluten can be. Not everybody doesn't tolerate gluten, but a lot of people don't. And I don't think they realize just what it's doing to their skin and to their bodies. And then once again, clean skincare. There's so much out there with skincare. It's confusing. You know, which one should you buy? Really what I do recommend is going with the natural and organic. And if you pick one anti-aging cream, look for retinol. Ideally, an a, a organic retinol cream should be the cornerstone of your anti-aging skincare regimen. Hmm. And how about sun? Should we be mindful about sun as well? Maybe not eat sugar in the sun? <laughs> yeah, you know, so that's the other thing. You know, I guess I didn't mention that. So sunblock. And that is something that we're always taught in medical school and residency, and everybody pretty much knows that. But what they don't know is that there are some sunscreens out there that I wouldn't necessarily choose. So for example, oxybenzone and octinoxate, these are two ingredients in chemical-based sunscreens that are found to be hormone disruptors. And on top of that, we're also finding that they can also disrupt the coral reefs. So there are other options. Avobenzone appears to be much safer. Uh, so if you're looking for something that blends into the skin better than some of the mineral sunscreens like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, 
look for avobenzone or those minerals type based uh, physical sunscreens instead of oxybenzone and octinoxate. Hmm. I love your approach from like the clean skin from within, like what we can do internally to create beautiful skin or radiant skin externally. Now, a lot of the, the kind of investigating this natural world and figuring out ways that we can be more holistic has shifted the way that you particularly take care of your body. What are some of the things that you're doing, Dr. Tony Ewan, that have made a massive impact on your health? Yeah, I think one thing that I've been spending a lot of time doing lately is intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. This is a hot topic for weight loss, and a lot of people are getting great results with that. But what a lot of people don't know is that it's also very anti-aging, and it's this idea of autophagy, where you get the clearance and the cleaning up of cellular debris. So the idea behind intermittent fasting is that you can stress your body, and stressing your body causes your cells to enter a period of pseudo-starvation. And what they do then is in order to power themselves, they get rid of the damaged organelles and the intercellular components that really have, they don't need and that are just accumulating, making a cell older and, and more damaged. So what we're finding is that by combining intermittent fasting with when you do eat a good, healthy, clean diet, that you can really get some major impacts on anti-aging. And that really is the frontier right now. You know, there's nothing that we know of that will help you live longer than doing fasting. I mean, you're a much better faster than me, I know, Marisa. Like, you can do these five-day water fasts and stuff like that. I can't do that. I mean, but I can do 16 hours where I don't eat anything. I was going to say, what's the duration? Are you at 16? Okay, that's still a great place to be, right? 16 hours off, eight hours on. That is awesome. And I'm. we have both done Prolong together. We've talked about it on your podcast before. And I will tell you, doing a water fast is never a good time. Although it's really beneficial, it's really hard. I mean, I don't know anyone who's like, man, this is a walk in the park. It can be challenging. I honestly didn't. I knew about, like I knew the autophagy benefits. I knew the cellular longevity benefits. And I know that over time, that's definitely anti-aging. But I didn't know if it showed up on our skin or not. I'll be honest with you, I am definitely concerned. One of the things that a lot of people don't know here on the podcast, but I, I'll fully confess, and I know you're older than me, so it's totally fine that I confess this, but I'm turning 40 in September. And I, you know, it all of a sudden, I don't know, when you hit these milestone birthdays, you're like, okay, what do I, what do I got to be looking out for? You know, what do I need to be doing more of? Intermittent fasting is huge. I mean, making sure that we're eating the right foods is huge. But are there some other things as we head into our 40s, our 50s, or 60s that what do I got to do to stay off the table? So there are a lot of great things that are available now, you know, that don't have anything to do with surgery or even needles or anything. So at even home- needles. So at home, red light therapy. Okay. So there are a number of different devices out there. One's called Juve. Another one is from the Sunlighten company. They all seem to work pretty similarly, but there are studies that show that doing red light therapy, infrared, basically light uh, can help to reduce. By the way, guys, it's red. It's a bright red color. Just so people are wondering. (laughs) Yes. Now you can do blue, then that can help destroy bacteria to help with acne. But in general, if you're looking at anti-aging, it's red. Some people do amber, but basically on that type of a spectrum. And that's something that people can do. You can buy one of these devices for about three or $400. They last a very long time. You just do it at home. Let's say while you're watching TV, you apply it to your face. Another thing that can really help with the skin is dermaplaning. Now, in our office, we do dermaplaning where we take a special scalpel blade 
And we basically do, we scrape it against the skin to remove the upper layer of hair and dead skin cells. Now you can actually do it at home, not by using a razor or a knife, but there is a device by a company I have, I have no interest in the company, you know, anything like that, no monetary interest, but it's called Sonic Smooth. And Sonic Smooth is advice you can get at Sephora and all these and Ulta and those types of stores where it basically will use ultrasonic waves and a specialized blade to get rid of kind of that, that fuzzy hair and also exfoliate your skin. So that's another great thing that you can do at home. And does that just allow for cell turnover a little bit easier, Tony? Yeah. So if you feel your skin afterwards, it's going to feel much softer, much smoother. You get rid of the hair, but you'll also see the upper layer of dead skin cells that as we get older, that skin can kind of accumulate on the surface and it helps to get rid of that. So it's no longer an issue. Uh, you do have to do it fairly regularly. You know, in our office, we get a closer dermaplaning doing it with our specialized instruments, but you can do it at home and, you know, just buy the device. The other thing that I want to mention too, and this is if you have access to a med spa or a plastic surgeon or dermatologist, is IPL, intense pulse light. And uh, this is similar to a laser, but one of the things that we all seem to develop once we hit our 40s and sometimes earlier are sunspots. Okay, the other name are age spots. You know, those can get really effectively treated with IPL. And IPL is typically not that expensive, there's no downtime to it, but it specifically targets those dark spots turns them darker and usually within a week those spots fall off. Right. So initially it looks worse. And they they will tell you that. Initially it'll work and then it'll come off. I mean pigment has always been an issue for me. I don't know if it's because I'm Latina or my hormones or sun. I think it was a combination of all three things. But pigment what came on I mean I had a pigment issue well into my mid twenties as when um so I really see it now. Combining that IPL with a brightening cream, that's the way to go. Ideally one with kojic acid or niacinamide. The brightening creams are nice, but if you've got a lot of pigment, the IPL is going to take care of it much more quickly. Got it. Wonderful. Ooh, I love it. And no needles and no, no surgery. So I love that. I think that's what a lot of people are looking for is a way in which how do we, how do we protect our skin? How do we nourish our skin and set our skin up for success without having to necessarily go into some more invasive options? Now, I want to take a step back because we've been talking about this new book and we've been talking about some of the stories, you know, just that you've experienced kind of like those aha moments that you had. And I want to know, I want to hear a story that reveals the real truth behind plastic surgery that you feel that kind of really kind of hit you, like it sunk into you and kind of shifted the way that you think about things today. There was a patient of mine who really changed my life. I was early in practice and I honestly, I hit rock bottom. I had patients who had had some issues and uh, it really was a bad, bad time in my career. No matter what I did, no matter how, how hard I worked, I felt like I was basically in quicksand. And I was called one day to see a patient. She was in her 60s, and she had open-heart surgery and had some complications. So the cardiac surgeon had the PA give me a call. And basically, when you do open-heart surgery, you literally saw the sternum, the breastbone in half, so that they can get at the heart to fix it. So she had the surgery done, and basically her sternum got infected. And when it gets infected, it literally turns to jelly. I mean, it's crazy. Just it liquefies. So they called me as a plastic surgeon to help basically reconstruct her chest. So I brought her to surgery. It was a six-hour operation where I moved muscles from the chest and the tummy into the chest defect to reconstruct her. And everything went very, very smoothly. So I saw her every day for a week. She got out of the ICU and she was really doing well. Well, about six weeks into it, I've been seeing her every single day. 
I skip one day because I was running late in the office and I don't see her. The next morning I go see, I go to round on her in the hospital and she's not in her room. And I look on the computer and it says that she's back in the ICU. So me being a fairly new doctor and really had hitting rock bottom, what do I do? I start blaming myself. Like, you know, what did I do? My surgery came apart. I don't see her for one day. Now she's in the ICU. And this kind of rat tat tat fire of negativity is going through my head as I'm running to the ICU to see what happened to my patient. So I get there, I run into her grandson and he tells me that she had a massive heart attack and was going to die. I look down at this poor woman and I look at her, she's intubated, she's on the ventilator, her color is terrible, her chest actually looks fine, it had nothing to do with the surgery that I did, but I'm looking at her and there's nothing I can do. So I do the only thing that I can think of at the time is I hold her hand and I say a few prayers and I just sit with her for about five minutes. You know, at this time her family had left and it was just me and her for five minutes. And then I leave and the next day I come back and they tell me every single day for two weeks that she is going to die and that it's just a matter of time. It's any minute now. And so every day as her plastic surgeon, there's nothing else I can do. So I just go in and I hold her hand. And one day, about two weeks into it, I go in and I swear I see her move her hand towards mine. So I do the same thing. I hold her hand. I say a prayer at her bedside, stick around for a few minutes, and I leave. And the next day I come in and holy crap, she's sitting up in bed smiling at me. And I go, oh my God, like, look at you. (laughs) What happened? I said, everybody thought you were going to die. And she says, I guess I'm not dead yet. And she goes, Dr. Yoon, I need to tell you something. And I said, well, what is that? And she goes, I knew. I said, well, you knew what? And she said, I knew that every day you came in to see me and you held my hand. And she said, it made all the difference. And she said, every day I look forward to you coming in to hold my hand. And she said three words that I remember to this day. She said, you saved me. And I looked at her and I said, you know what, Helen, you saved me too. Because that was really, I think, a moment where I had thought that I had hit rock bottom. I actually considered leaving medicine altogether because I thought I was honestly such a failure as a doctor. And she single-handedly gave me hope and kind of made me realize that it's not about how busy my practice is. It's not about how good of a surgeon I am or what the result is. But sometimes all it really takes is holding somebody's hand and telling her that it's going to be okay. And that sometimes is the true essence of medicine. So so that was a story that I think for me really told me like, this is what being a doctor is. It's not being a plastic surgeon or being a surgeon or any of that stuff. It's really being a doctor. So, And that was one of the stories I shared in the book because once again, I, I think it really changed the trajectory of where my career has gone since then. So it's interesting because, you know, for a minute, how we gauge our success or how we gauge how we should be may be not always the best criteria. And in this instance, it maybe it felt like nothing was working and every like the what whatever standard you had thought or maybe people had put into your head about being a doctor, about being a plastic surgeon shifted that moment because that that wasn't necessarily the thing that we should always grade it on. I'm sure a lot of doctors have learned that, but probably not all have. No, and I think that that's something that we we have to learn. And, you know, and the title of the book is Playing God, and it's this idea that surgeons think that they're playing God. Well, 
that's just the opposite. And um, if you don't mind, I have a story that I think you would really enjoy that kind of kind of caps kind of all of this whole idea off of like where you go with all of this. I had this another patient who came to see me and she was in her 60s. And this patient had lost a good amount of weight and ended up having a tummy tuck done by another doctor. Well, the patient was quite obese, morbidly obese. She had multiple medical issues. She'd had heart attacks in the past. She had a stent. She was on blood thinners. She was diabetic. She had hypertension. And she had multiple psychiatric issues too. So she came into my office and said, Dr. Yoon, you're my last hope. And she said, I've seen 15 other plastic surgeons. Every single one has turned me down. But please don't do that to me. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, look, I had this surgery. Uh, my surgery fell apart. My tummy literally turned black and and half my tummy basically died. I underwent these skin graft surgeries, and now I've got this scarred up tummy. And, she, and she's, she's walking literally with a cane into my office, and she says, Dr. Yoon, all I ask is that can you please help me so that I can play with my granddaughter again? I'm in so much pain that I can't do anything. So I take a look at her chart, and I think, I look at all of her medical issues, and I think, holy crap, if I operate on this woman, there's such a good chance that she's going to have a major complication where she could even die from this. And that would literally be on my conscience is, is that she would die. So I say, look, you know, I mean, you've got so many medical issues. And she's like, Dr. Jean, please, please, I just want to live. And I just want to hold my daughter one more time. If, if all you can get is for me to hold my granddaughter one more time, then I will die a happy person. This doesn't happen often, but every once in a while you see a person and your body, your head is telling you, don't do it. Stay away. Tell her no. Yeah, you know, it's just no too is, That's a massive liability. It is. And it's like, but I had this sense of peace and I had this feeling that this was just the right thing to do. And it was, you know, call it what you will, you know, was it God telling me this? But I had this sense that this was the right thing to do and that a higher power was going to see me through to this. So I did the surgery on her and it took four hours and it went absolutely perfectly. And uh, she healed perfectly afterwards, which was, I mean, so crazy because the chance of a problem was so high. And she came to see me about a month later. Now, I'll tell you that her insurance rejected the claim. They said it was cosmetic and didn't pay a penny for it. So she walked into the office, no cane, with a carrot cake. And she said, Dr. Yoon, I know that my insurance rejected the payment. I don't have any money, but here is a cake. It's, it's my payment in full. And I said, you know, that's fine. And she said, I need to tell you something. I said, well, what is it? And she said, yesterday I played with my granddaughter for the first time in over a year. And I just want to thank you. And that was when she said actually something that, that really led me to this whole idea of playing God. She said, you know, there's some, some doctors who act like they're God and uh, not you. And, I, and that was when I told her, I said, look, you know, I'm not God, nor do I play God, but I need God to help me. And I really think that he was looking over my shoulder the entire time I did your surgery. So that whole idea that being a doctor and doing what you do, you know, and, and I tell you, Marisa, you have really inspired me with what you have done with helping women across the world to help themselves and I think a lot of this, you know, some people say, oh, look at what she's doing. Look at what you're doing. But in the end, you know, we're just vessels to help others to help themselves. You know, it has nothing to do with you or it has nothing to do with me. It's helping others because they're the true heroes here. You know, we're lucky because we have people that follow us. We have people that look up to us. But in reality, 
it's not us. It's that higher power. And it's all those people who do the work, whether they give the money or they pass out, you know, the feminine hygiene products. Or in my situation, you know, I'm a part of a domestic violence shelter. They take the time to help these women. They're the true heroes here. That's a lot of what I find that the practice of medicine truly is. I absolutely agree. You know, from from the get-go, and not that I already didn't know that, but it was reiterated to me many times that we're just conduits, that are that that we may have, you know, a bit of a skill set, but ultimately we're just opening the door for helping someone else's body to heal, that they really have powerful healing miracles and that they're a big part of that. And that's always been my message is how do I help mostly women empower themselves because the power is really within them to heal their bodies, you know, and it's just a matter of just providing some tools. That's what you do is you provide tools by educating them on essential oils and natural healing. And for me, those tools sometimes come in the form of a scalpel. Other times they come in the form of advice like what you give. Absolutely. Well, I'm so not only grateful that you've written this book, I know how much of a a passion project it was, but also just having people understand that journey in a very authentic way and demonstrating to them that when a doctor leverages God or, you know, recognizing there's a higher power that is at play in the work that they do. I think that that's important for us to know. And so I just want to say thank you, Dr. Tony Ewan, for being the doctor that you are and for serving millions upon millions of people with your free education and information and resources so that we we can make these, whether these are daily habits that we do every single day or we get the right tools into our hands to help support our bodies. Because let's be honest, I mean, our external, our skin, our, our face, it's what's happening inside our bodies, right? And so by setting a lot of us up for success, by giving us a lot of those tools for what we can do, we're we're just reflecting out that longevity on our skin. And there's so much that you can do, but it really does start with all the advice that you give about diet, about cleaning up your environment, because that's really what starts the whole process to true health and true beauty, because it's all holistic in the end. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. So where can we get the book? Where Where is the book available? So Playing God is available at, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, at bookstores all around the country. For those people who uh, purchase a book, we do have free gifts at my website, dryun.com, D-R-Y-O-U-N.com. And uh, if you buy the book, if you buy it before it goes on sale, we've got certain gifts. If you buy it after it goes on sale, we have gifts for you too. So thank you so much for allowing me to share my message with your amazing followers. You're such an inspiration to me, and uh, and it's such a privilege to be on your podcast. The feeling is mutual, Dr. Tony. Thank you so much for stopping in, and I am so excited. I love the book. I know my audience is going to love it just as much as I do. Thank you so much, Marisa. Tony has been a very dear friend of mine for over four years, and we have collaborated together on many projects throughout those years because he is such a high integrity person and practitioner. And I hope you got to feel that today during our interview. Tony has stepped out on a limb to share his story and allow us into the life of becoming a doctor and one of the most respected and nationally recognized board certified plastic surgeons in the nation with a very, very holistic mindset. I wanna invite you to grab his new book, Playing God. It will not only give you hope in our medical system, but also just get a glimpse into what a doctor is thinking and considering when he is making decisions for our health and wellness. The link for Dr. Tony's new book, Playing God, The Evolution of Modern, The Modern Surgeon, is gonna be in my show notes for episode 126. 
Now, when you order the book, you will receive a $26 coupon to his online store, an autographed plant and herb book, a natural lip balm, and early access to the first chapter. And you can all get this on Dr. Tony's website, drmuen.com. And all of these will be in the show notes. The link for Amazon and the link for the website will be in the show notes. So it'll be super easy to go and grab that and then get the extra yummy bonuses that Dr. Tony Ewan has brought to you. Well, I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. In this next episode, I am bringing on Jennifer Wise Wolf. She is an advocate. She's an attorney. And we're going to be talking about the need to understand how menstrual care and menstrual period supplies are regulated here in this, this country and other countries around. The reason why I invited Jennifer to come onto the show this later on this week was really to show a glimpse of how we are managing women's health care in this country and other countries. The more we know, or rather, my favorite quote by Maya Angelou, when we know better, we do better. That is the quote. And that's exactly what Jennifer is bringing to the table is when we know more about what's happening with our reproductive rights, with our reproductive health, we can do better and proactively be on top of it so that our daughters, our sisters, our moms, our granddaughters are more protected moving forward. I can't wait for you to jump into this interview. It is very charged, but it is so worth it. Until then, have an amazing week.